0: The benefits of cryptocurrencies for Ukraine and refugees and NGOs have been invaluable, especially in the early days of war. And it really helped that Ukraine was already a crypto-friendly country and the war really accelerated uh, government's ambitions to, be, to blo- build a blockchain-friendly country.
1: G'day folks, and welcome to the Blockchain New Zealand podcast. I'm Jeff Nicey and today I'm talking to Liz Ismailova. Liz is a Ukrainian-born New Zealander that has been working in blockchain for the past five years. She is a marketing manager at SensNet, which is part of the Centrality ecosystem. In this conversation, we talk about financial inclusion and the monetary situation in Ukraine, both before the war and presently. Ukraine has been ranked fourth in global per capita crypto adoption by Chainalysis, And are likely to be the first to have a government directly accept crypto donations and provide transparency on where those donations are going. We cover a lot in the crypto donation space in general and some local New Zealand-based projects. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Liz Ismailova. Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on today.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to be here.
1: Let's start a little bit with your background. I'm interested, both in where you're from and how you ended up interested in crypto, cryptocurrency, blockchain, NFTs, all of that.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so I was uh, born and raised in Ukraine. Um, my mom and dad ran their own uh, small business, which gave them a perfect work-life balance. So they were always around, yet running a successful company. And they that seemed very effortless And inspirational to me. So at about 14 years old, I thought, okay, it's time to set up my own business and become financially independent. And that led to a chain of completely or partially failed projects, (laughs) including uh, a Christmas tree company. Uh, I was selling car and laptop stickers um, and then water filters, just really random stuff. And eventually I went to the business school which was led by current Minister of Digital Transformation of Ukraine. So I got really lucky to be there. And that inspired me to set up my own tiny IT startup where we were developing and designing websites and applications. So I'm really glad that the path led me to this because that's how I discovered my passion for technology. And also that was the first project that didn't completely fail. So that encouraged me to keep going. (laughs) And... um, Well, after spending some time in the industry and meeting different people, I was hunted by the blockchain project who were about to go to the ICO and change the world. They didn't, but in in my time with them, I I managed to meet a lot of people really passionate about the space and go to different conferences. And Ukraine was a major blockchain hub then. Um, So, yeah, eventually uh, I was also getting paid in Bitcoin, right when it went from 20k to 3k which was when i saw okay that was was the
1: last deep winter that we had yeah
0: that's right um so shortly after i decided to go to new zealand to study and i thought i really want to stay in the industry it's very exciting um so i googled blockchain companies new zealand centrality came up and i thought well what a dream come true it would be to work for this strong project in this industry, in the most beautiful country in the world. So when I arrived, I asked my uni to send an email to uh, Nicole Upchurch, who is now a CEO of SenseNet, and say that there is this intern who is ready to do whatever to kickstart their career. And she she gave me that opportunity, um, which eventually led to the role of the marketing manager for SenseNet. Um, and yeah, we're forever grateful for that. So ever since going down the rabbit hole of Web3, um, witnessing, and, and I was also lucky to become a part of this large ecosystem of like 30 projects, um, the Centrality ecosystem. And they were launching stuff that existed only in white papers until recently. So it's very inspirational.
1: Great. So you actually went from uh, a Google search to... Being at that place and finding a position—I mean, that's got to be a pretty unique story.
0: Yeah, very random, and I really did not anticipate that they would reply. So yeah, just got very. And you lucky. also have
1: a bit of an entrepreneurial bend to you with water water <laughs> filters. Did you say?
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why water filters or Christmas tree or stickers. I don't. I don't know exactly why, but. Um, Yeah, just, I think the example of my parents always inspired me. So, and when I, when I grew up, I realized that I know nothing and that was actually quite harmful to my entrepreneurial uh, career and, you know, ambitious, because now I realize that I need to learn so much more to, yeah, become successful at running my own company. I think that's
1: ongoing is that you always feel like, you know, nothing. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about... A couple of weeks ago, a few letters were published and they caused a bit of an uproar, at least in the crypto Twitter sphere and also around fintech, primarily in America. But I think they have broader applications. So first of all, one at website called Concerned.tech was published. So I'll just uh, read a little bit as a summary of what it is. The title is that it's a letter in support of responsible fintech policy. It starts off, dear U.S. congressional leadership, we strongly disagree with the narrative peddled by those with a financial stake in the crypto asset industry, that these technologies represent a positive financial innovation. They go on to say, by its very design, blockchain technology is poorly suited for just about every purpose currently touted as a present. Or a potential source of public benefit. Finally, blockchain technologies facilitate few, if any, real economy use cases. So, really, this letter is sent by people that are critiquing the blockchain and specifically the cryptocurrency or the monetary innovation side of it. Short time after that, some human rights activists, including Alex Gladstein, launched a rebuttal letter called Financial Inclusion. And basically, they say uh, that, you know, nearly all of the authors of the anti-crypto letter are from countries with stable currencies, free speech, and strong property rights, uh, you know, meaning America and Europe. Uh, The inclusion letter was signed by people from 19 different countries, including Ukraine. And the concerned letter, the one critiquing cryptocurrencies, was signed mostly by software tech companies people at universities or critics uh, of blockchain. So given all of that background, um, I guess a question to start us off is, is do we have a financial privilege problem? Uh, And what do you think about the idea that there is no real economy uses to this technology?
0: Wow. (laughs) Well, first it, it really fascinates me that this is what's happening in 2022 when cryptocurrencies and blockchain are being adopted by many countries and institutional investors. And we still have this argument that this is the problem looking for solution with no real users for that. Um, and yeah, it's very good point that the letter that concern tech comes from people from developed countries, but how about people who cannot trust the government? Who cannot trust their local banks who do not have access to financial services, what other alternatives are available to them. And Western Technologists who sent this letter argue that there are better solutions to these issues already in use. But I'm not exactly sure what what they're referring to and what other solutions are available to people with lack of access to traditional financial services in developing countries. So, and the letter sent as a response presents one of very important use cases for blockchain, which is fundraising. And I, I saw the quote from the Ukrainian human activist on top of this letter, which summarized it quite well for me that Bitcoin is not just the, the technology, it actually saved lives. And um, those charitable organizations were able to raise funds for protective equipment for Ukrainian soldiers when the war just started and there was no infrastructure that, that traditional donations were not coming in yet. So that really saved lives. And cryptocurrency is particularly suited for international fundraising because it doesn't respect national boundaries and it's censorship resistant. So there is no central authority who can that can block transactions. So and it's, there are so many more economic case studies for uh, for blockchain already in use. So yeah, it, it I would understand this letter coming through when I just started my career and during that ICO boom in twenty seventeen when all of these ideas were existing in the white paper, but there were not many products that were being used in real life. But this is not the case today. We we see so many uh implications for blockchain already. Yeah,
1: you're right. The the global nature of Basically, the Bitcoin network uh, and possibly Ethereum as well has, you know, really erased a lot of these borders that keep things penned in. Uh, And especially when people are writing, you know, to uh, U.S. Congress from American tech companies thinking with their siloed U.S. only hats on. uh, And they might have a good point that certainly some aspects of the industry you know, are flawed, maybe could use some more regulation. There's a lot of scammers out there that are looking for an opportunity, you know, basically to take advantage of people. Uh, But that's only one side of things, right? The the other side that we're actually seeing a lot of is this idea that you can use the blockchain to make donations or basically gift these assets uh, in a border-free way to people in Ukraine.
0: Um, yeah, that that is true. Um, and Ukraine has really used this for the fundraising attempts when the war just started. So um, in February, banks were limited. There were restrictions on our, on the use of fiat currencies, and charitable organizations and government were running out of supplies. And if you managed to pay in fiat, the wire transfer would take like two to three days. Um, that sounds fast, and, <laughs> actually,
1: for a wire.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm giving them okay. some credit, but sometimes it takes longer than that. And with cryptocurrencies, it's it's literally minutes. So uh, the benefits of cryptocurrencies for Ukrainian refugees and NGOs have been invaluable, especially in the early days of war. And it really helped that Ukraine was already a crypto-friendly country, and the war really accelerated. Uh, government's ambitions to, be, to blo- build the blockchain-friendly economy. And um, in March, the president of Ukraine signed a law on virtual assets, which means that cryptocurrency exchanges can now illegally operate in the country and uh, people will be able to declare their income in virtual assets. There are a few new fraud regulations in place. And um, people behind this law even say that the national bank might issue its own digital currency. So it's being adopted at the government level now, and um, as as terrible as these events are, it it became the accelerator for this adoption. Yeah, and as I said, um, Ukraine was already crypto-friendly, so it was ranked in top five uh, for crypto adoption around the world. And yeah, there are probably a few reasons for that which was interesting. And I'm wondering if this would be the case for other developing economies as well. So first of all, uh, we have a really bad banking system. And this is something probably those Western technologists have not experienced living in developed countries. Like you can't even imagine, you cannot, it's hard to put money into the bank. It's even harder to take the money out. Can you
1: just maybe expand on that? Like you have family there, right? So like, what is it like sending funds or getting money in and out of the country?
0: Um, yeah, we, we are using TransferWise um, to send money back to our families in Ukraine, and um, it's, it's got much better these days, so it does take probably a few days depending on uh, when you send it. If you send it on Friday, it might arrive on Tuesday because of the weekend, but um, usually it's around three days. There were so many restrictions imposed on withdrawing funds from the bank. Uh, when the war started, there were limitations on the U.S. dollars that you can withdraw. So people were queuing up next to ATMs trying to get cash out of the bank because they were afraid or worried because there were a lot of cases in the past when the economy was bad and the government decided that, that your money is now government money. So that happened. And that's why people don't trust the government. People don't trust the banks, which makes up a perfect uh, ground for crypto-friendly. Companies. Right, and these
1: aren't these aren't uh, like fringe people, you know, reading strange posts on Facebook. Right, this is millions of people in uh, developed, advanced uh, country. Uh, what about U.S. dollars in Ukraine? Is it possible to get U.S. dollars?
0: Uh, I'm not sure about the uh, the state of things as of today. But it is very challenging, partially also because the Krivnet to U.S. dollar was frozen in the bank. So the real course was very different. You could get it from the black market, which I'm not sure I should be saying, but you could only purchase that from the black market. And the the difference between official course and the black market course was just absolutely Okay,
1: so this is, I mean, this is... Very well-known symptom of uh, a central bank that's in trouble when you have an official rate and then you have a black market rate. You have limits on things like U.S. dollars. Um, I did read recently that the currency officially is uh, devaluing by about ten percent per year, um, but people are saying that it's actually more like twenty. Do you? Uh, would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there a lot? Uh, and this is the case for the Russian Federation too. Um, So I have a lot of friends uh, from Russia here in New Zealand who are struggling to withdraw their funds uh, in U.S. dollars or struggling to send funds to their families. And because it's just frozen, there are too many restrictions. And the rates, as you said, the the difference between official rates and the real rates you can get on the market are insane. Um, And obviously everyone wants to hold on to their... Uh, dollars and get rid of Kregnet. Uh, so there is a very uh, big difference in between like, demand and supply. Yeah,
1: And so do you think that something like uh, this new legislation that you said was signed in, in March um, it sounds like it was like an emergency measure to enable cryptocurrency donations. Uh, do you think that that will, that will stick? Hopefully things wrap up I guess in the near term uh, Ukrainians can get back to business, but do you think that the crypto adoption will be maintained or do you think that the, I guess the central bank will step in and try to revert back to the status quo? Um,
0: Absolutely. I think it will be maintained. And uh, partially because there was, as I said, there was the foundation prepared for that already. So um, Ukraine has always been a crypto friendly country and we we have a very strong IT sector and uh, the the higher education among Ukrainians is over 90%. We have a lot of strong IT universities. So there are a lot of uh, digital technologies that are widely adopted at the government level already. And as I said, the chaos of war just gives rise to alternative economies and accelerates the government's ambition to become crypto-friendly country and to build the crypto infrastructure. So um this law that was signed um uh, I think it will take time for that to be properly implemented because obviously the government is not focusing on on war and saving right. lives rather than the crypto regulation but um it's also national bank is involved and will um, become a regulator for cryptocurrency exchanges along with um National uh, Securities Commission, um, and with the fundraising efforts at the moment, uh, National Bank is involved as well. So they partnered with FTX Exchange, who is providing um, the way to uh, exchange uh, donated cryptocurrencies to fiat currencies, and then they sign it to the National Bank of Ukraine. So that makes like the first instance uh in in ukraine and i'm not sure there are many cases like that in the world with cryptocurrency exchanges working directly with the government agent
1: right so So it sounds like this almost uh you know would have happened anyways uh even without the invasion um i did look up some stats and uh, as of july 2021 now this is almost a year ago right ukraine had the fourth most uh significant adoption of crypto per capita and to put this in context, um, this is according to chain analysis. This is only behind Vietnam, India, and Pakistan. And then you have Ukraine sitting there, number four. And uh, I, I mean, I presume they haven't lost ground in the previous year. Perhaps, perhaps uh, maintaining that position. If there is another study coming out this year, another, you know, if that's an official stat based on some methodology of looking at wallets or whatever, uh, the president of the Blockchain Association of Ukraine recently said that he thinks it's about 10 million uh, in terms of population in Ukraine that are, you know, kind of crypto fluent, which is, you know, basically Mm -hmm. almost a third of people uh, in Ukraine that, you know, for whatever reason, good or bad, are at least tuned into the idea of saving and spending using some crypto assets. So I think that as, as you say, uh, uh, Ukraine is well ahead of a lot of other places on that front.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting that uh, top three countries that come before us are all developing countries, right? right? Developing countries. So I think when people don't trust the traditional finance systems in their country, they look for alternatives, and they are way more motivated to learn about this inter- alternatives and try to adopt them. So that just yeah, there is a lot of motivation for people to learn about blockchain and developing ventures.
1: One thing I find interesting is that the Ukrainian government has really gone all in on this. They have official publicly visible websites where you can go there and make some donations uh, and really advertising on the front page. You know, this is in a transparent way, which people love about a decentralized system is that you can go in and you can audit and you can see what's what. Uh, And so on the front page, we'll post a link to this. You can see that they have almost 500 Bitcoin have have been donated, almost 10,000 ETH, as well as many DOTs. That's Polkadot, USDT, Solana, and some USDC as well. And so there really have been a lot of people that that have taken to this. And, you know, the funds aren't sitting there in Bitcoin right now. People might be wondering, well, Bitcoin's kind of, been crashing recently, um, but they did convert them straight away and they have been using the assets. And so this actually surprised me even more. I'm looking at the donate page right now. So you can scroll down and you can see uh, that they've purchased digital rifle scopes, thermal imagers, armor vests, helmets, backpacks. They've purchased fuel. Um, anti-war media campaign and they've listed the items here that they've used the funds for so this is almost like a new level of transparency that we're not really used to seeing even within charitable organizations sometimes it's a bit more of a black box if you're trying to follow your funds and find out what has happened Uh, and so to me i see this as being you know really a step in the right direction really being a net benefit for crypto donations
0: absolutely it's it's really fascinating and very touching because obviously it's very personal to me that the crypto community around the world provided so much support this is absolutely overwhelming and also they've done such a great job the ukrainian government uh, putting this uh platform together so quickly um I think they launched it in early March, um, and the war started on 24th of February. So they put all of this in place so quickly, and we can now donate 14, 14 cryptocurrencies. Yeah, they say that they raised more than $60 million. And the transparency they're providing, I think that's understanding that the crypto community appreciates the transparency, and that's really, really important to them.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. If they didn't have it, you know, everything exists on the blockchain anyways. So if they didn't have it, people would find it uh, and be posting it, I'm sure, straight away. So best that they get ahead of it and say, well, actually, yeah, you know, we did convert it. We did purchase this and therefore, uh, you know, we are using it for, for these purposes, right? And then people can make up their own mind. They can say, well, if I don't want you to be buying um, thermal scopes or, uh or or bulletproof vest, then, you know, I can choose not to donate.
0: Yeah. And there uh, has been, uh, there are a lot of people around the world who do not want to donate to uh, military uh, equipment, but uh, they want to donate to humanitarian aid. Um, and they provide options for that as well. There are a number of different charitable organizations who accept cryptocurrency donations Um, that only provides support for people of Ukraine, not necessarily the army.
1: Right. A a unique thing I noticed when I was looking into this was that, for example, uh, you could donate using PayPal to the rebuilding efforts for Ukrainians, but you could not donate using PayPal to the militarization effort. Uh, and so they had a slight distinction there. Now you could use crypto to donate across multiple categories. Um, same with your credit card. But in terms of PayPal, PayPal decided, you know, that that violates their terms of service. And that isn't really a surprise. We've we've seen this before. You mentioned about other NGOs here also also doing this. You know, it's not only about uh, Ukraine. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other efforts in New Zealand that have been happening?
0: Yeah, absolutely, sir. Within our ecosystem that I'm working with, um, Fluff World uh, project uh, did the charitable NFT drop uh, to support the people of Ukraine. Um, So Fluff World is a New Zealand-based immersive metaverse ecosystem. Uh, They launched um, digital rabbit characters as NFTs back in August uh, last year. And they really shifted the perception of what an NFT is beyond aesthetic image. So they started with the digital characters, but now they scale to smaller spaces and larger community spaces, and eventually they want to build worlds. So it's a framework for truly expandable metaverse. And the the strongest and most important part of this project is its community of more than 50,000 people who are deeply engaged and deeply passionate about um, NFTs and metaverse, and They are the reason why this Ukrainian NFT drop that they've done has been such a massive success. In March this year, um, we dropped the uh, Fuck the War scene, which is like a background for your digital character uh, as an NFT. And the proceeds from people purchasing this background NFT were sent to help the people of Ukraine. And the community has donated over. 200,000 US dollars and then the team matched it for a total of um, 411,000 US dollars. So the support has been absolutely overwhelming. And another great thing uh, about this fundraising event is that they took the time to find local NGOs on the ground. So I think to stop the war, you really need to Think global, but do local. So they did support Ukrainian government account. They sent funds to Ukrainian DAO, which is a crypto collective who is also supporting a number of causes, and other well-established charities like Save the Children. But also we um, connected with a number of like grassroots NGOs that desperately need help, and they're on the ground, and I know them personally. So um, in that way, they managed to spread funding over a range of causes in different areas so this, this was all yeah, part that, of the
1: same project called fuck the war uh yes which yeah. meaning is pretty pretty straightforward
0: pretty much.
1: I, I mean that's that's an incredible figure right four hundred and eleven thousand u.s dollars raised uh and, and donated and just to summarize what you were talking about there so the the fluff characters are like animated uh like profile pictures in for in terms of some of the other NFT speak um, and the background then can be changed. Is that what it was or was it like a different, did I get that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. So you can really pick and choose different backgrounds, the music, the accessories uh, for those uh, fluff uh, characters who are digital rabbits.
1: When you talk about finding NGOs on the ground, is this in Ukraine?
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. So there were, um, actually, we started looking for NGOs who are based in Ukraine and support Ukrainian people. But I reached out to a few in my uh, city and they said that money is great, but we don't have um, supplies to spend them on. Like people were running off things to buy because stores were getting empty. There were humanitarian aid arriving uh, to those places. So the and the solution uh, that would, would be better was to work with um, and Ukrainian NGOs operating from Europe and Canada who were sending medical supplies to the affected areas in Ukraine um, because yeah, there, there came a point when money did not help um, those local small NGOs operating on the ground. so, we We worked with uh, two smaller grassroots NGOs based in Europe and Canada.
1: Right. That's really not a problem that we would think about at all is is that point when money cannot cannot help. Um, so I mean that that's in- incredible. You also mentioned about when we spoke before, you mentioned about universe dot XYZ having a lot of Ukraine based developers and artists.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, so universe X, Y, Z is, uh, also New Zealand based project. They're building the NFT marketplace and a big part of their team is based in Ukraine, mainly, uh, developers and digital artists. And obviously that was very close to their heart. So the, the whole team decided to focus on NFT charitable collection and They put everything together in days Um, and I I know people who were working from the bomb shelters, just designing those um, animated NFTs and building the website, which is absolutely incredible. And they managed to raise um, $115,000 in a few days.
1: So for people that might think, how are you using NFTs to help these people when you can just donate funds directly? What do you think about that? Like, how are NFTs... As an additional branch, helpful in this case. Obviously, there are the projects you have just mentioned, right? But why not just donate directly?
0: It is an engagement tool. It is a way more engaging, and it helps uh, encourages people to spread the word when this is an NFT project rather than just a cryptocurrency donation. And also for NFT projects out there, they also they already have an established community of loyal followers uh, who are easy to engage. Um, So it it really made sense for our NFT projects to uh, leverage this opportunity. And I think for users, for for donors, I would love to keep something to remind me about the war, to, to use that, to share that with my friends to encourage more people to donate and to have this piece stored as a reminder of the support you provided and of the events that...
1: Right. Something happen. that's a lot more meaningful than just having a tax receipt.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. And sure. the... And uh,
0: if you go on outside, Um, if for your current platform, you can see that you can donate NFTs as well besides cryptocurrencies. So government accepts NFTs. and. Um some of the NFTs donated included CryptoPunk, uh, which was worth at that time $200,000. Okay. Yeah. And Ukrainian DAO, um, which is another major crypto collective, auctioned a non-fungible token of the Ukrainian flag. And they raised $6.5 million. I mean,
1: these all have to be sort of like world firsts, the the idea of donating... Uh, the idea of having such a valuable pixelated NFT called a CryptoPunk and then somebody being able to digitally donate it to a war effort. Like, you know, you couldn't have written this stuff in a fiction novel.
0: No, I I did not think that fundraising will become, that NFTs will become such a, so instrumental for fundraising efforts. And you, you would see a lot of NFT projects, um, allocating a part of their funds to different charitable organizations in the past, before the war. So I think, again, this became a catalyst for developing those efforts further.
1: I guess there's also some tech here that could be useful in the sense that some of the NFTs, when they're minted, the creators can take royalties from that, depending on resales. Uh, and so there could be some sort of like funneling mechanism here whereby instead of artists collecting royalties, um, royalties get donated to to charitable organizations or, or things like that. And yeah you know, that's certainly something that we haven't seen before.
0: You can think about it as more impactful than just making crypto donations because you store this piece of history until you decide to sell it. And so it's still out there. it still reminds people about what happened and um, another project is Avatars for Ukraine, which was done by such talented digital artists who worked on Mortal Kombat, League of Legends, Star Trek, and uh, just really, really talented. And they created 70 artworks that depict the bravery of Ukrainian people. They also
1: managed to raise
0: uh, funds for So Ukraine. that's
1: personally something that I can get behind because I'm still a little bit skeptical of direct t- donations to charity in terms of knowing what type of impact my donation is going to have. But if you can support an artist in an effort like this uh, and then actually walk away with some art, then, you know, it's it's purchasing of art, supporting an artist, and perhaps also having a charitable impact as well. So I, I think that is, you know, a really interesting side effect of the NFT space in general. So Crypto and NFTs definitely skew towards the younger folks, uh, perhaps Gen Z or even younger than that. What do you see, uh, like, how do you see as this playing out long term?
0: Yeah, so I found a study done by uh, Fidelity Charitable, um, which they were exploring uh, the benefits of cryptocurrency donations and how different uh, generations see that. And um, they found out that owners of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and Ethereum are disproportionately more charitable Group. Um, In fact, um, 45% of cryptocurrency investors donated $1,000 or more to charity in 2020, compared to 33% of the full investor population. And I think, yeah, exactly. It's more popular and more widely adopted among younger populations, so Generation Z. Um, So, and that makes it in, um, more likely that the, the trend is here to stay. And those younger generation are also a charitably inclined generation, and they found out that nine in five say that the charitable uh, donations are an important part of their lives, versus around seventy five percent of the total population. So, and this is just. A way more convenient and easy way to donate personally. And I think another benefit besides philanthropic reasons that people often overlook are the tax implications. Okay. So it turns out that your cryptocurrency donation is tax deductible. So IRD classifies cryptocurrency donations as property, uh, meaning they're not subject to capital gains tax and are tax deductible. So Your tax deduction will be equal to the fair market value of the cryptocurrency that you donate, which will be established by a third party, I believe. So that means when you donate, you don't have to pay capital gains tax. And um, again, according to that study, I think it's less than 45% of people who donate who are aware of that. So you can actually leverage that if if you get a receipt um, confirming that you made a cryptocurrency donation and submit that to IRD, you can get tax deduction. So the
1: selling event of your cryptocurrency, that can be taxed uh, if the value has gone up in terms of capital gains. But if you want to sell some of it in order to donate, you can do that uh, basically tax-free.
0: You don't even need to sell that to the night. You just You can just sell, send cryptocurrency to charities that accept it. And also another great thing for them is when they accept it, they don't pay any taxes. Right. Um,
1: Direct donations. Yeah, that's definitely the way to do it. Yeah, the Save the Children organization. They've been accepting Bitcoin since 2013, which is very, very early. But in those early days, what they had to do was they had to sell it straight away. Um, No, sorry, I I got that backwards. In the early days, what they did was... For their very first donation, they asked it to be converted before accepting the donation. So they said, "Sure, um, if you wouldn't mind converting that." But you know, which is essentially selling your crypto and then making a donation in in the fiat currency. Um, obviously, that was a long time ago now, and uh, them and other organizations do directly accept cryptocurrencies.
0: Yeah, that's that's right. In New Zealand, there are actually quite a few. Um, Charitable organizations that accept direct donations in cryptocurrencies. And I think the first one were Hard Kids. I think COVID has become a major accelerator here because it made traditional fundraising very challenging. And also with ever growing popularity of cryptocurrencies, and Joel started to really look into these opportunities. And what Hard Kids did, they partnered with uh, Giving Block, which is a US based company providing the infrastructure for charitable organizations to integrate crypto donations into their offering because there is a lot you need to know and a lot of infrastructure you need to prepare and understand um, in order to offer crypto donations to your community and they just make it easier uh, for those charitable organizations.
1: Right. You don't want to have to and be hiring a crypto engineer just to enable these payments.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Some of the other organizations include UNICEF, so they accept donations. and Um, I think four cryptocurrencies now, including Bitcoin and Ethereum, of course. And uh, Child Fund, we actually worked closely with them recently. Uh, So they not only accept donations from cryptocurrencies, including Dogecoin, too. (laughs) Um, They decided to explore the potential of NFTs. And they launched a collection called Gifts That Grow on Lyftiverse NFT Marketplace. And uh, this was 54 uh, NFTs, which was like a set of cards with different animals on them dressed in Halloween uh, costumes. And yeah, that was just a new way that they explored how they could engage their community. And And what
1: is, did you help them set this up? And what is the Lithoverse? Um,
0: So Lithoverse is uh, one of the projects created in the centrality ecosystem uh, this is an NFT marketplace, which provides a very easy way for you to mint and sell your NFTs and, and purchase NFTs. Um, so that you can done, do that in a few clicks. You really don't need to have any background uh, in order to set up your collection. Um, so we provided the support for child fund all the way through. But yeah, that was very, very easy for them to get an idea of how how it works and another great thing about that is that you can set your royalties so all the future sales of nfts uh you get a percentage of the trading volume which you can also choose to donate to charitable causes you can choose to to keep it oh great so that's actually
1: being built in you so like you don't need specialized knowledge to be able to write that contract
0: now, there is a form saying, how much royalties would you like to collect? And you can set a percentage. The recommended one, I think, is about 10%.
1: Coming to the end of our time here, what do you see as the role of an organization such as Blockchain New Zealand? Um, basically, how can we help the industry and our individual members?
0: Um, so I think the most important part of that is um, education. Financial inclusion starts with financial education and That's for both New Zealand NGOs and uh, cryptocurrency enthusiasts. So for NGOs, digital assets are poised to become a strong source for funding in the future and they face a number of different challenges, including setting it up and understanding it, providing a seamless way to convert cryptocurrencies to fiat currencies ensuring safety for both donors and, and the NGO. So there are a lot of challenges and a lot of, like there is lack of knowledge about how to overcome them. So we could provide some um, advice um, on that. And second, educating cryptocurrency holders who would like to donate to charities and about some benefits of it, including tax applications. Because until I've done the research, I didn't realize myself that I, I should have grabbed the receipt when I did my cryptocurrency donation because then I can use that to you know to have tax uh, deduction so that yeah that was quite interesting and people can already learn a lot about blockchain cryptocurrencies on the blockchain using the website and you can connect to our team directly to ask any questions or inquire about becoming a member if you would like to get access to some exclusive content and um networking events and just different events in
1: the industry. Yeah, great. I mean, education is one of these ongoing things that the innovation is, is leaping much faster than the education can keep up right now. Uh, and so we always need more and we always also need people to improve upon what there is already out there. So I I think that's very important. I've definitely taken away quite a few things I didn't, I didn't know before today's chat. Are you up (laughs) for some rapid fire? Sure. Okay, the first one might be the hardest one. Ukraine or New Zealand?
0: Oh, I, I feel like there is no right answer here. <laughs> Ukraine in my heart, but New Zealand forever. <laughs>
1: All right. Uh, a few metaverse plays, uh, Decentraland or Sandbox?
0: Um, sandbox.
1: Fluff World or Altered State Machine?
0: I can't do that. What are you doing to me? <laughs> uh, literally, uh, they are stronger together. Stronger together. Investment. Okay.
1: Uh, c- could you tell us a bit about what Altered State Machine is?
0: Uh, yes. So they This is the um, uh, project that is uh, has also become a part of the Futureverse ecosystem, which brings a number of different NFT projects together to build the, the metaverse world. And what they are focusing on is non-fungible intelligence. So, so they are using AI to so you could train and educate your uh, nft characters and that can be used in games that can be used in finance um there are plenty of different use cases and they are integrating this artificial intelligence within other nft projects in the ecosystem including fluff world okay. so that's why they will be stronger
1: oh, I mean that, that. sounds it, it sounds like I need to do my homework and perhaps we need a whole show just on just on that last one who is Satoshi
0: um I think that's a collective of incredibly talented people um that didn't realize what they have
1: created (laughs) Liz thank you very much for coming out today
0: thank you very much very exciting
1: Thanks for joining us, folks. Look out for the next episode of the Blockchain New Zealand podcast, probably in the same spot you found this one. Cheers.